Well, we're going to be continuing in Malachi this morning, and I, I do want to um, just let you know, uh, th- this, as I was putting this message together, I just really got impressed that this is not going to be a one-week message, okay? Um, it's just too, there's just too much information um, in, around the, the topic that we're covering today in Malachi. And so I, I think I told Gene or someone else this morning as I was just talking about the, the message uh, a little bit, I, I was like, I don't think I've ever preached on one verse, two messages any point in my uh, life. Um, and so it's a little bit unusual, but, but I say these things too because I think it's going to be important for you to at least, um, like I've done some topics where we stretched out and I've had to do the same kind of intro where it's like, no, there's pieces that are going to come next week that are going to be vital to like understanding everything. So even if you're not here for some reason next week, um, please go and listen to the podcast because it's going to feel like maybe a little bit uh, un- incomplete or unfinished. And there's probably going to be some things that you leave with today going, wait a second, how does all that like really apply and, and, and how do we grasp some of these truths? And it's not that it's complex or complicated in, in one sense, but it's just too much information to cover because there, we're, we're going to get into some things, especially next week, about how we rightly read and understand the scriptures, which is, is an essential piece to this. So let's... Um, Let's begin, um, let, let, me, let me make this comment first. Um, the topic that we're covering, and I've handed out these sheets today for your benefit, I hope, um, because some of these things that I, I would want us to cover today that you will look at, especially after today as you go home, is that you're going to have a little bit better understanding of, uh, of what, what these, this doctrine is. And the doctrine is simply the immutability of God. And, and so, Michael, I had no idea that your grow group was dealing with attributes, so it's, it's providential, I think, for y'all today. Did y'all cover immutability by chance? Just touched on it? Okay, so, yeah, there's some passages in Hebrews that, yeah. Um, so, the, 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 I want to begin with this, like, piece for you. There's three primary, even though the, the doctrine of immutability is touched on in multiple places in the Scripture, there's typically three primary passages that, that we look at in the Scripture and go, yeah, this is where it's clear that God is a God who does not change. And so the, the first and primary one is actually Malachi 3.6 that we're going to read and look at um, today. The second one is out of Psalm 102, verse 27. And, and, and then the third is James 1.17, where it talks about God, is, there's no shadow of turning or change with God. Um, and so what's interesting, as I, I began to look at this, I don't think, and I've been studying immutability for like a year and a half, like just because it's, it's centered around my dissertation. And so I've been reading like, you don't even want to know how many books. I, I, I think I buy a book about every two weeks on this topic. Katie's going, it's probably every week. Um, <laughs> average of week and a half then, maybe. Okay, um, so, so there's something that I'm in all the time around this. And, and I, number one, I love the topic um, because I think it's essential for us because it's one of those doctrines that, um, y'all are getting way more than what I, th- I thought I was going to share. Historically, starting with, the, like with Paul and, and in the New Testament church, it's, it's present in Scripture, and the early church fathers hold this doctrine consistently all the way up 
through the Reformation. It, it started to change predominantly in the 19th, 18th and, uh, no, 19th and 20th century because of German scholarship that was moving in liberal directions and then response to World War II uh, and, and the prison camps of Auschwitz and the like, the German prison camps, people started wrestling with how does God engage with us in our suffering. And, and so the doctrine for literally almost you know, 1,900 years never experienced any change. But we're living in an age where this doctrine has, has begun, we're seeing lots of deviations in, in an understanding of it. And ultimately, the one that's, to me, the most dangerous, if you don't know these things, it's, it's no worries, but it's, it's open theism or process theology, where what essentially what those hold is that we impact God in some way. He's learning and changing based on his response and reactions to who we are as a people. I hope that you go, wait a second, that can't be because God is perfect. And, and, and in his being, that is a, a theology that really ought to set me, like, like, make me go, what's going on? But, but recognize the implications of those things are being played out in the, not only the theological world, but in the, the political and social world as well. Because think about the LGBTQ plus movement for just a moment. Everything that they define about God is what? How they view God to be, how he should respond to them. So, so this theology that's, that really became kind of vogue in, in its inception in the early uh, 20th century, we're now seeing the implications of it working out where God is not a God that's worthy of worship. And, and, and he's a God who I want him to be because he can change, because he's in process. And folks, this doctrine to me is, is so essential to how one, we ought to rightly understand the Lord to be, the God of, uh, of attorney, the true and living God. Th this is key. And, and then it is very, very practical. And so ultimately where, I, I'm going to kind of unpack this, where I want us to go today, we're going to look at three parts to this doctrine over this week and next week. This week we're specifically going to look at its meaning and its implications. Okay. Next week we'll look at two other qualities about it, and especially the practical outworking of what we do. But the goal of this message today is honestly to elevate the person of God in, in understanding this doctrine so that we worship him rightly. And that's predominantly why I included the comments by Spurgeon. It's a lengthy section kind of on the back of the page. Spurgeon's first sermon that he published, um, when, when he, he'd been doing ministry for several years, but when he decided to start publishing his sermons, and there's some, I, I want to say 63 like volumes of, of sermons that he published eventually, but the first one that he published was at the New Park Street pulpit, and it was on the immutability of God. And it's a phenomenally rich sermon. And so I put some of the pieces of the beginning remarks that Spurgeon made on your sheet so you could go ahead and like read these after the message today and in hopes that it would just continue to stir your heart up about the importance of recognizing this truth about the Lord and then worshiping Him. So, so that's the heartbeat to that. The other pieces, they're going to be, um, some I'm going to actually quote today or use today that's part of what I just pulled out of my dissertation to help us understand because I think they're meaningful in, in terms of the definition and those kind of things. So just to help you, um, Stephen Charnock, he's a Puritan that wrote extensively on this, this do uh, doctrine, and so I've included some of his remarks in there too because you don't want to go buy the, the, the multi-volumes of Stephen Charnock to read this. It's phenomenal. I would encourage you to do it, but you're, you're probably not going to, so I, I certainly wanted to give you access to those things. So, with that said, 
here's a piece of context. I, I started to share that, and then I forgot. And then we'll read. Um, Y'all are getting like a lot of overflow. Sorry. Um, context. I realized this going through these three passages. It's so interesting to me. In each Malachi, Psalm 102, and in James, in each of these, the context of what the people are going through is some kind of calamity and consequence for their sin or some circumstance that they're wrestling with. So in Malachi specifically, what have we seen as the calamity of the, of the people? It's that their sin has led them away from the Lord and they're experiencing the consequences of disobedience and rebellion and sin. In Psalm 1 and 2, there's some kind of, the psalmist is communicating some kind of uh, persecution. And, he, and we're going to read a little bit of that passage in a few minutes. So you'll see that. In James, what does James 1 start with before we get to, to James 1.17? Count it all joy when you face various trials. So I think it's so interesting that this incredibly important doctrine on God's immutability is, is somehow couched in our own personal struggles. And I think that, even though I want to talk about in, next week the, the practical implications, it, it's tipping that in, uh, right away for us, is that we need to know that God is consistent. That, that he does not change for us to walk rightly in this world and for us to, to understand the hope of the gospel is to know that God does not change. Because if, if he was a changing God, how would we hope? How would we have stability for our faith? How, how, how would we trust him in any way? So, uh, so I don't think it's any coincidence or any like little small detail that that's always the context of what we see in these three primary passages. So let's, let's read Malachi 3.6 now with those kind of introductory remarks and we'll jump into this. So the Lord here says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. And let's read verse 7 just a little, for a little more context. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you will say, or you say, how shall we return? And so here's, here's what we're going to be looking at, first of all, is what is the significance of this doctrine? What is it, and, and for us, to, in order to, for us to really understand the significance, we un need to understand, first of all, the meaning of immutability. So I, I want to um, begin, and I, I hope this is not like too complex, diving too deep in some of the nuances of this, but I think it's helpful for us to recognize why theologians over the centuries have looked at this concept that God does not change, where in, in Malachi 3, 6, what we read you know, is, I, the Lord, do not change. And, and, and what's interesting is this is, a, a, it's like a negative approach to this. Does that make sense? Like, do not change, okay? It, it, the, the scripture doesn't say, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. It does say that in, in, in other places, but it's, there's this, what we've looked at in theology is called the, Latin, via negationis, okay? The, the way of negation, if you want to take notes and write that down, it's that we look at things from a denial or declining perspective. And, and so when we think about God's immutability, um, it's the negation of change, 
okay? That's, that's where that is coming from. So I started trying to, like, I, that's been part of what I've been trying to learn, understand, and really grasp a hold of is why do we use that kind of language when we describe the Lord? And so I want to give you, hopefully this is a simple enough um, reflection on these things to, to help us understand why we approach it with that kind of language. So here's, here's my thoughts, is that man, as we are created, we're created in the image of God. So the things about us somehow reflect some kind of aspect of God. And we know that because of sin, those reflections are marred and they're imperfect. And they were even to begin with. Okay, even apart from sin, there's still some kind of limitation on us. Does that, does that, everybody resonates with that, right? So the problem is, because we're created in the image of God, we have this tendency to look at God and lower him to our understanding. Does, does that make sense? Be, because we're trying to, to comprehend him, but the truth is, and I, and I hope this language helps us all, because it's something I've really, like, it, it's, it's helping me, at least in my own process and thinking about the Lord. I will never fully comprehend God. So comprehending God is not the best way to, 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 to understand the concepts about Him. The truth is, what we do is we begin to apprehend the truth of God. There, there's a big distinction, right? So, so when we talk about God, the, the, the importance of the via negationis, the, the way of negation, is that we are limiting our own, uh, or recognizing our own limitations in trying to apprehend him. We're, we're not saying, oh, I, I got all this wrapped up in this perfect package. We're saying, we understand that he doesn't change. We don't understand what it means for him to remain the same. <laughs> Does that make sense? So it's, it's this helpful way of confessing that we can know what God is not, not what he fully is. Is that, is that helpful? I, it is to me. And maybe if it's not to you, I, I apologize, but apologize for spending the time there. But I want to repeat that. It's a way of us acknowledging our limits to confess that we know at least what God is not. And, and I think that's a, a good place for us to be with our a level of humility. Okay, because... Again, I go back to where is the world practically, we can say we know what God is, and we know how he ought to be, because we can put him in process and, and say that he's, we're, we're controlling all these things, because certainly we can reason with, about God in this way. And, and it's elevated, and, and, and honestly, I don't want to dive too deep into this, but I think it's interesting that the LGBT plus, LGBTQ plus movement is known as what? Have you thought about this? The pride movement. I just think it's so, like, ironic. And to me, it's like, that, that's an issue. And I don't know where that came from. I've not done any historical research. But I do think at some level, it's very interesting. Because where we are in relationship to the Lord is that we ought to humble ourselves before him. So to me, the via negationis, that way of negating, is a reminder that we need to, do, to approach him with humility. So... If you, if you have the, the sheet of paper out, and I, I don't have one before me, um, but, but I would really recommend, like, you mark this at, at a point to go back and read this whole piece. You're going to see, like, the Second London Baptist Confession highlighted with Article 2, and it's a little bit of a lengthy article, but this would be one of those places that um, back in, in 1689, that, that confession was written, 
And it, it's, it's got some phenomenal language in it, especially it, it talks about who, God's whose essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself. Boom. It's like, drop the mic. The language of that is just so clear that God in his essence, he cannot be comprehended by anyone but himself. We need to approach him with humility. We can apprehend these truths at some level, but we cannot comprehend him because we are not God. We are creation, the created, not the creator. Now, and this, this next part is going to be in, in on the paper somewhere, and you'll see it on there. But I, I just want to encourage you to hear this from me this morning. There's two guys that are current theologians that, are, that have done a lot of work on God's immutability. One is Stephen Doobie, and the other is Ronnie Kurtz. Um, they have given definitions that I've put on your paper that I think are very, very helpful for us to understand uh, the, ex- like the scope and the... the um, nature of what God's immutability is. So Doobie defines immutability as the fact that God cannot be changed, improved, or diminished. I love that language because you think about those qualifiers. It's not just that God is not changed. He cannot be improved or diminished in any way. And I would add to this That's because his essence and being, who he is in his essence and being, always change, uh, is is never changing. You think about us, my essence and being, I am constantly changing, okay? And we're going to look at some of that in in a little bit. uh, But that's why, again, thinking about God's immutability with where we are, God does not change. He's perfect. He's always perfect. And, And no beginning, no end, always perfect. In, that, that's part of, uh, like, immutability, it relates in one sense to his eternality, and, and it's so important for us to recognize those things. So can't be improved, can't be diminished, always that way in his essence and being. Then Ronnie Kurtz adds this, another uh, part of the definition and clarification, and this really points to the Second London Baptist Confession, which mirrors the Westminster Confession of Faith, so it's, uh, it's uh, these two incredibly strong uh, um, Protestant doc- documents. He says this, God is immutable in respect to process. So again, think where God doesn't change in any way with process. He doesn't, he's not engaging with us and and changing in his person being or anything, okay? Unlike what process theologians say that he's learning, he can improve or he can diminish. That's that's what the theology of um, a lot of theologians are saying in our modern era. So he, he doesn't change with respect to process, processions, that's a, a little bit different word, but what that has to do with is in the three persons of the Godhead, how they proceed and relate to us, they don't change in, in procession. They're always the same, okay? So he's, that's, that's language that points to the Trinity itself. Potentiality. God does not change in potentiality. There, there's, like for us, we would say all the time about us, there's something, we have potential in us. We can learn and grow and, and accomplish things. There's no potential in God. He is exactly who he has been for all eternity. There's, there's no way for him to change. There's nothing that can change him and make him better. So that, that again, brings clarity. He's, um, he's, he doesn't change in parts. We've talked about this in the past, that he's simple, okay? That, that he is, his, all of his attributes align perfectly within him. They can't, even though we describe them separately, they don't live apart. 
okay, from him in any moment of time or, uh, or operation. Um, he's unchangeable in his passions. He's unchangeable in his perfections and unchangeable in his plans. And when I think about those that list of P's, and I'm not asking you to memorize it or anything, I think it's helpful for us to think through it for sure and maybe to latch on to some of those things as we think about how we want to worship this, this immutable God that we serve. But I think about him being unchanging in his plans. Boy, that, like, that is so encouraging to me. And, and part of this is coming out of having done funerals for some folks recently, um, you know, family members of our church members. And, and it's made me think about the hope of, of the future and the coming of Christ and the plans that God has for us as believers it, to be with him in eternity. I am so thankful that his plans don't change. And I'm so thankful that he is patient with me in my process. But the plans don't change. He's long-suffering. The plans don't change. God is so good to us in these ways. And, and these are the things where it's why we should worship. It, it, it gives us confidence in, in who he is and what he's always setting out to be. And as I've preached uh, these two funerals, I've tried to really emphasize the hope of the gospel. The gospel plan never changes. There's only one way to enter into heaven, and that is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God that the plan has not changed, and I don't have to guess at that. And nobody else has to guess at this. It's, these are the things where you see this immutable God that we serve, the practical implications really are far-reaching and, and actually impact every aspect of our life. So, um, here, I want to read this because it, it's, I think, as I... You can tell that I'm kind of preaching out of the overflow of a lot of things right now. But I think that one of the, the if we miss this point, we've missed the importance of the, the doctrine of immutability. It is out of this doctrine that all other things flow. And I'm letting that, the weight of that land for just a second. It's out of God's immutability that all other doctrines flow. Now, now you could, we could like nuance and probably debate that a little bit in a healthy way, okay? Because you might say, well, I think it's out of the, the, the fact that God is a, a Trinitarian God, that all things flow. I, I would go, yeah, yeah, I get where you're coming from. I, I think there's certainly things that play together, okay? But, but one of the things that has lit my fire about Spurgeon is Spurgeon talks about the mutability of God, about Christ, about his, his covenant, the mutability of his covenant, uh, the mutability of the Holy Spirit, the immutability of his plans, his, the immutability of his promises. It's like all these things his immutability ties to. And, and even with that aspect of the Trinity, it's about his immutability in those things. So, so in some way, now we could get into that with omniscience, everything, yes. But it is a doctrine that I think is so important, but it's so often overlooked. And I think especially because of our modern culture with the deviations that have come into the, the world in a theological uh, perspective, if you will, or, or realm, this is dealt with too infrequently. So this, this truth that God is perpetually the same that he's not composed of any substance or material, but a spirit pure, essential, and remains everlasting the same. 
is so vital for us as believers. So, so that's kind of the meaning. That, that, that's like definitions, background, what this doctrine means. So let me begin to, to share for just a, a few more minutes, and we're going to be really quick here, a couple of the implications of this, okay? First of all, I think it helps us understand more like uh, fully and appropriately the distinction of God as creator versus us as creature. And, and that's getting into some practical things. You've heard me kind of mention those today. Um, understanding the, the distinctions between the creator and the, the cr created is essential because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. But the created order, we continuously undergo change. Let me give you some descriptions of that. I was thinking about some, like, powerful things. I, 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 part of it is just I, I think we're getting ready to head to the ocean. I've been talking to some people about traveling a bunch lately because it's coming in that time of, of the year. Thinking Katie and I just came from um, North Carolina where we were on the edge of the Smokies and thinking about the mountains and all these things, okay? But, like, the ocean. The ocean is powerful, but you realize um, it changes. Mountains, they're majestic but they change, and I'm going to describe how they change. Think about the stars, the constellations. You can go out, you can identify those things. Like we, we sit on our back deck, and I can look and see Mars, like right over the corner of our house every night that it's clear enough to see it. It's incredible. It's just this bright, beautiful light in the heavens. But these things change. Think about it. The oceans, what do they do? They evaporate, don't they? And then once they evaporate, they come back in rain or snow or sleet or some kind of mist and, and may not even, once it evaporates, it may travel the world because of the wind, right? But it, it comes back in a, a different way. Even though H2A stays the same, H2O stays the same, I get it, okay? Um, H2A, sorry, Katie, that's H2A's, Katie's program, it slipped out somehow. H2O, I know the, the, the chemical compound for water, please don't critique me later, okay? Don't ask me for any other chemical compounds, but I know water, H2O, okay? Um, See, y'all get insight into the, the, the craziness. Okay, mountains. Mountains erode. The wind, the rain hits them. The sun heats and causes them to expand and cold contract, and, and they will erode and, and change. Even the stars in the heaven are burning out. It's crazy to think about all these things that we look at in life and go, there's so much consistency. The truth is they change. Listen to Psalm 102. I invite you to, this is one of those key passages that I mentioned earlier. Turn over to Psalm 102, and I'm going to pick up in verses 24 and read through 27. Um, and there's a whole lot more context that I encourage you to go back and read uh, prior to this. But Psalm 102, verses 24 through 27, I love it. It says, Oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days. You whose years endure throughout all generations. You hear the contrast, right? I, my, my days are, are, are short in the midst of my days. There's only going to be so many. But Lord, you endure for all generations. Verse 25. Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. Isn't that a great language? Psalms are so great. Listen to verse 27. But you are the same, 
and your years have no end. You hear the description of the psalmist saying, you are immutable. Everything else in life will change. I love the, the, the word picture of the stars in the heavens being changed like a robe. It's like, just take them off, move them. You know, it's just going to hang on the door. It's no big deal. But Lord, you will not change. What does that remind us of? To me, the greatest implication of this doctrine is our hope. Our hope, our only hope, is in the Lord, this God who does not change. So I want to read this, and this is where I want to end. This is why I put this in there, and I, I'm not going to, I think it's part of the quote. Um, I don't think it starts at the beginning, so don't worry about trying to find it, but you can go back and read it later. This is why when C.H. Spurgeon says this, the proper study of a Christian is the Godhead, the highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy, which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls his Father. There is something exceedingly improving to the mind in a contemplation of the divinity. Mm. Folks, there's a whole lot for me, a whole lot more for me to say. So please come back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel, right? Because we're going to get into some more of the specifics about how we best understand this immutable God as we read the scripture. And, and it hopefully it will help you as you read, not only to understand, but to worship. And that's why I wanted to end with that quote on Spurgeon. Because the goal of this really today is that you would leave here today going, mm, the God that we serve, he is a mighty, majestic God who never changes. And I, the greatest like, pleasure for my life is to contemplate the divinity. We will not comprehend him. That's a good thing. Be, be encouraged as you consider that. Be humble as you consider that. But do this. Every part, with every like, part of your fiber and being, with your, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, contemplate this mighty God. By doing that, you will be encouraged. Pursue an apprehension of him that, that like, you wake up and go, I can't believe this is who I get to love and know and, and, and pursue the understanding of his love for me. Though we can't plumb the heights or depths or breadths of that. Nonetheless, I go back to why this is so important to me and out of Malachi, is all of this is rooted in God beginning this letter with what? I have loved you with an everlasting love. Whew. This God that we serve is so good to us, poured out through Jesus Christ, his son, that we might know him and know him fully one day. Now, not in comprehension sense, but face to face. Wow, it's good. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word. 
We're so grateful that you have chosen to, your, to reveal yourself, not just through the creation and the cosmos, because, Lord, if, if we just look through that, we might think that because everything around us changes, that our bodies give way, that our minds uh, will one day grow old and feeble and forgetful, that, that as I've modeled today, that my mind can't stay focused. Lord, there, there's no way that that who I am accurately reflects all of who you are. But Lord, through the specific revelation of your word and your Holy Spirit bringing these truths to light, I, be, I can begin to apprehend you and recognize through that way of negation that, that I won't fully comprehend. But you still are God who is worthy to be worshipped and, and certainly not from a distance, but through a daily devotion to you that, that fuels every part of my soul, every part of my mind. And yes, it will bring conviction. Yes, it will bring challenge. But Lord, the end result of those things is intimacy with you. And so Lord, we've, we've expressed those thoughts through worship. I trust that as we've unpacked a little bit of this scripture today, that we've also contemplated those things well and will rest in these truths and find hope and security through these truths. And we will be fueled daily and more so moment by moment in the daily to lean into you with the affections, the longings of our hearts. And Lord, I, I can't help but think back to where I started in, in speaking this morning about Eliza Spurgeon, is Lord, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. Lord, we, we need moms. We need dads. We need brothers. We need friends. We need fellow church members to shape and sharpen one another with these same truths. So Lord, I pray that we would be a body that, that would be not just devoted to these things personally, but a body who is corporately devoted to one another to encourage one another with these things so that we find strength and we speak to one another in such a way that, that our hope is lifted high. Because the, the truth is, Lord, your word says that as people witness, witness us doing these things together, that is how we become a beacon on a hill, a light that can't be hidden and they will be drawn to you because you're lifted up by us collectively in ministry together. So these are, th this is not a, a small just mental or theological idea today, Lord. It is very, very practical for us. So Father, I pray today that as we go from here, we would worship you well. I pray, Lord, that we would also thank our moms and encourage our moms to continue to worship you well. Father, I pray that for the moms here, that they would recognize their influence and they too would worship you well. So Father, thank you for the day. As we depart, may we glorify you by sharing the love and good news of Jesus Christ with others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I hope you have a wonderful Sunday afternoon. Uh, hopefully the rain holds off the rest of the day and you can enjoy some fellowship out. It's, it's not going to, Mason? Okay.
It's going to be off and on. So find the windows to go outside, enjoy some weather, get some pictures with your family's moms that are here, and make sure you call your mom like me um, and wish her a happy Mother's Day. And again, enjoy your time with this immutable God that we serve this week as you get into his word. Have a great Sunday afternoon.